Hello, and welcome to Impact the Borough, a podcast from the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. I'm Brent Christensen, the president and CEO of the Chamber. Each week, we'll highlight what we're doing to start and grow businesses, create quality jobs, and develop our workforce. We'll also check in with our community partners to share inspiring stories and important information from across our community. This podcast is brought to you by TrueLiant Federal Credit Union, a modern, mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members, the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, TrueLiant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit TrueLiant.org for more information. Hi, I'm Nikita Green, Vice President of Leadership, Diversity, and Inclusion at the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. I wear a few different hats here at the Chamber, but in one, I have the definite privilege to be influenced by, to be encouraged by, and to work alongside some very successful minority-owned businesses in Accelerate Greensboro. CEOs like those in Accelerate Greensboro and those who are joining me today, they create jobs and they contribute to the economic vitality of our community. So I'm joined today by two of these CEOs, Larry Fairley and Antonia Wallace. And we wanna take this opportunity to get to know them and their businesses better. Certainly it's said that people do business with uh, the people that they know. So we wanna make sure that you get to know these great business owners. So gentlemen, tell us about your companies and your catalysts for starting this company. Let's start with you, Larry. Why? Uh, thank you, uh, Nikita, uh, and uh, and to the chamber uh, for all that you do and 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 supporting us business owners. Um, I founded the company uh, in 2000, and uh, Marketing Resource Solutions uh, (MRS) is a full service advertising agency specializing uh, in the strategic planning and execution of our clients' multicultural and diversity-related marketing initiatives. Uh, we use our experience along with consumer insights uh, to develop and deploy strategies to help our clients reach the growing multicultural consumer in a fashion uh, that resonates with this audience. Um, you know, for me, um, the, the, the catalyst for me started when I was a young boy. I, I had a dream of uh, owning my own business. Uh, and after years in, in corporate America, you know, I felt that my, my growth had plateaued. Uh, I had worked on the business plan uh, for MRS uh, while I was completing my MBA and um, just got to that, that point, that inflection point in my career where um, I decided to dust it off and, and, and give this advertising agency uh, opportunity uh, a chance. And, um, and 20 years later, uh, we're still standing uh, and thriving. That's remarkable that in 20 years in business is a big deal. Thank you. What about you, Antonio? Yes, thanks. First, uh, thanks to Kita for the opportunity. Uh, and again, I very much appreciate all that the Chamber is doing to support uh, MWBE firms in the market. Uh, GP Supply Company is a mechanical and commercial plumbing distribution company. Uh, we sell pipe, valves, fittings, and uh, commercial fixtures. And uh, we, we 
tend to sell to a variety of type of customers, whether it's to the subcontractor or whether it's to industrials or into uh, state schools or private schools or the education sector, we should say. And, uh, as far as the catalyst for uh, starting GPS, I did it a little differently. So I didn't, my, my strategy was a little different because of my, my career path. I wanted to become an entrepreneur. Uh, a, a lot of entrepreneurs have had early exposure or childhood dreams. But for me, I did go the corporate route. And so I was able to combine that desire as a child with what I learned as an investment banker, doing mergers and acquisitions. So I said, instead of starting a company from scratch, I learned how to value companies and how to raise capital to finance them. So I acquired one. And, uh, and, that, and that's kind of worked out leveraging my background. And I acquired, you know, a Jeep, a Greensboro Plumbing Supply is what it was. I acquired the company in 2013. Um, and I acquired it because it, you know, it, it had all of the, uh, you, know, you know, critical components of what a good investment would make, a platform that I could build on. It had great people, a great brand already. In fact, I had customers tell me, you didn't buy a company, you bought an institution. Uh, so you, you have great customers who gave you feedback and uh, have been with the company for 20, 30 years, buying from the company and great vendors you know, uh, strong, long-term vendor relationship. But when you put all that together, I mean, you really do, you know, I was able to, to buy a platform that I felt uh, very confident that I could grow and realize a high level of success uh, fairly quickly. Awesome. It's interesting that both, um, I'm always curious about this, but both of you had some desire to be entrepreneurs as a kid. I find that fascinating because <laughs> I, you know, I just wasn't on my radar at all um, very young, but I, I find that fascinating. Um, I note, Antonio, you have an undergraduate degree um, from Morehouse um, and an MBA from Harvard. And Larry, um, you have an MBA from LaSalle University and a ton of executive education from Northwestern University, Calix School of Management, University of Virginia Darden School, and the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. So you both clearly value education. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how that may have influenced your, um, your role as an entrepreneur and the founding of your companies? Um, well, for me, you know, I, I love uh, learning. And I love learning uh, in the academic setting. Uh, and then coming back uh, and trying to implement those ideas uh, within the business. You know, I like academia uh, because uh, it provides a structured learning environment. Um, and for me, uh, you know, there've been key inflection points uh, within the life uh, of my business where I was able to utilize those learnings to grow expand, pivot, uh, and adjust to a quickly changing business environment. Um, one of the, uh, I, I completed two executive education programs at the Tuck School of Business uh, at Dartmouth. And uh, I studied under uh, Dr. Lynn Greenhalgh there. And Lynn taught us the, the, the value chain analysis exercise, you know, where you develop uh, a layout, the value chain, okay, for your industry. And then based upon the value chain in your industry, you identify where you are on the value chain. And then it helps you then make a determination as to whether you want to do some forward integration or backward integration 
okay, to expand your, your service offering uh, and uh, uh, as a result, uh, grow your business. Um, uh, I absolutely respect uh, what um, the, the perspective uh, that Antonio brings to this, um, just in the sense that, um, you know, he came with that M&A background, that venture capital background. And I think that those things are really, really uh, uh, important, uh, and particularly for minority business owners, uh, um, you know, because they provide, can provide you access to capital, uh, and, and they provide some insights that are just not read, readily available. So, uh, so I definitely respect the, the, the perspective that he brings to this, uh, but I, I love the world of, of academia and I, and I continue to, uh, to uh, use executive education uh, programs uh, and, and, and other academic institutions to help me continue to learn and grow because that's the name of, of the game is to continue to learn and continue to grow. Mm -hmm. So Nikita, what I would add there is for me, the what I learned at Morehouse studying business administration with a concentration in finance and what I learned from Harvard, I would say both, had, you know, pretty much develop, helped me develop a framework for solving problems now as an entrepreneur. You know, uh, especially Harvard, you know, where there's it's case study, you know, and so you're just constantly looking at cases and you're sitting and you're saying, okay, this is what I would do if I was in that situation. And it was always cool, like they would have like Jack Welsh would actually come in and say, okay, this is what I really did. And so if you got it right, you were like, hey, if you got it wrong, you're like, you know, you learned something. So, but what I would say is both gave me this framework for dealing with all kinds of issues that I'm facing now. So whether it's a, you know, because, you know, the BA and the MBA, they're going to focus on the functional areas of business, right? So it's going to focus on accounting. It's going to focus on finance, marketing. It's going to focus on, you know, operations, you know, you know, and then, you know, technology, leadership. And as an entrepreneur, you're going to face all kinds of problems in all of those different areas. And so when I'm faced with one of those problems, I literally have a framework for how to solve that problem. Uh, now, you know, the, the, you know, academics is great, you know, but you, but that real life experience is equally important as well. And so you, you, you really do need both, but they do complement each other very, very well. I th the other thing I would say about uh, Morehouse and, uh, and Harvard, you develop friendships that I think uh, is starting to play out now. Uh, you know, my, my colleagues from Morehouse and Harvard, we're starting to talk about working together and doing different things. And so there's long standing relationships and now we're starting to contemplate doing business together. And so uh, that, that uh, and as an entrepreneur, you mean you need a strong network. And so the Morehouse network and the Harvard network has come into play numerous occasions not on new opportunities, but just with GP supply company and making GP supply company successful, that, that network, I think, uh, has, been, has been very valuable. 
That's the added bonus. You got the information, but you also got a good network uh, to pull back on. So <laughs> awesome. Well, let's, let's stay with you, Antonio. I know um, your company has contributed to some big projects all over the region, uh, including one that I'm partial to, <laughs> North Carolina A&T. Um, they're $90 million engineering building. Can you tell us about some of the projects that you're particularly proud of? Well, I, let me start off by saying I, I love, I, you know, I love North Carolina A&T as well. That, the institution has been unbelievably supportive of GP Supply Company and, and really uh, does an incredible job at really trying to find uh, local MBE firms to get involved in what's, whatever's going on on their campus. Um, uh, Andy Perkins definitely want to give a, a um, give him recognition uh, yeah. for you know for his advice and guidance in terms of developing that relationship with uh, ANT but yeah so the student union building but also I'm extremely proud of uh, the uh, our role on the student uh, union building which, which came before the engineering building okay. and so we played both we did both mechanical and uh, commercial plumbing uh, piping systems on, on, on both of those, uh, on that uh, project as well. Another local project, uh, I'm very excited about it, uh, disappointed that COVID kind of delayed it, but Tanger Performing Arts. You know, when you go to the restroom, you will be using toilets from GP Supply Company, <laughs> the piping systems, the HVAC system piping and stuff, you know, a lot of that stuff that, you know, GP Supply Company played a major role on that project. And, and I, I really do thank uh, uh, Matt Brown and um, Mike Perdue and those guys for what they do in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion there. Um, that's, those will be local. Some other ones that I'm proud of that make, let's look at Raleigh Market, Duke Bed Tower Project. The reason why I named that one is because we delivered $5 million of product on that, uh, on, on that particular project. Uh, project. That is huge wow. for GP Supply Company. When you think mm -hmm. about my average sales are between 15 and 20 million, but that 5 million came over two years. So they contribute. That was a nice contribution to, you know, uh, my business. But it also shows that an MBE firm can really handle a project of that complexity and that yeah. scale, you know, and so that's mm -hmm. what I'm really proud of. And then I would, you know, if you want to move to Charlotte, I would say the Charlotte Convention Center uh, with uh, R.J. Leeper, great, op you know, you know, great, real great opportunity to uh, develop my business in Charlotte, as well as the Charlotte uh, Airport Expansion Project. And we're shipping on both of those projects now. So, Excellent. Thank you. How about, um, how about you, Larry? I know Multicultural marketing is like a specific part of your competitive advantage with uh, marketing resource solutions. Can you talk about how you help companies um, in that area um, and what some of those projects have been that you've worked on? Yeah, sure. Um, we, we have a, a client roster that includes um, uh, numerous major brands, uh, likes of, of Denny's, uh, BMW, uh, United Methodist Church um, on a global basis. Um, uh, Volvo and Mack Trucks uh, have been clients of ours over the years. Uh, Southeastern Grocers, the parent company of Bilo, Winn-Dixie and Harvey's uh, and, and Atrium Health. Um, a couple of unique 
opportunities that we uh, were afforded uh, to work on. One was with the United Methodist Church, uh, where we were the lead creative agency on a global initiative to fight malaria. Uh, this was a partnership with the United Methodist Church, uh, the United Nations, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And we were able to do some great creative uh, for a great cause. And so it was really gratifying uh, to, to be involved in, uh, in that work. Uh, another one that comes to mind uh, is with, with Denny's. Um, about a decade ago, Denny's brought in a new uh, CEO and uh, he wanted to know what, uh, uh, what the company should be doing in its philanthropic efforts uh, to ensure it was aligned with the needs of minority communities. Uh, Denny's head of diversity reached out uh, to us to support. Uh, they had conducted some research that indicated uh, childhood hunger and education were the two areas where uh, minorities felt that corporations should engage. Uh, the CEO wanted to pursue uh, childhood hunger uh, because he was um, uh, on the board of No Kid Hungry. And, and we wanted to pursue education because as you know, uh, in minority communities, particularly the African-American community, uh, you know, education is, is paramount. And we're, we're raised to, you know, uh, our parents always told you gotta get your education, get your education. So uh, we really wanted to pursue education. Um, uh, we were challenged as to how to uh, uh, do what the CEO wanted. And of course, he, uh, he was going to have the last word in this. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we did is we developed a scholarship program uh, called Hungry for Education. And what we did is we um, awarded scholarships to students for their ideas on how Denny's could fight childhood hunger in their communities. So we merged the two. And it was absolutely uh, uh, magical. Um, we developed the naming, the identity, the program design and implementation. Uh, we worked with some of the nation's largest uh, minority advocacy and civil rights organizations to bring them on board uh, to award scholarships uh, uh, on behalf of, uh, of Denny's to their constituents. And this program has gone, grown well beyond a philanthropy. Uh, the Hunger for Education Scholarship Program is now one of the centerpieces uh, to the, the Denny's uh, diversity, equality, and inclusion uh, program it helps them with the outreach as well as is internally employees uh, can uh, uh, participate uh, in the program. It has also become core to their multicultural marketing uh, efforts. And so um, a decade later, uh, we still are administering the program uh, and the program uh, is growing rapidly. Uh, there will be uh, in the next few weeks a, a major announcement uh, about the program uh, and how it'll be engaged in a in a very large media event. So, so those were uh, um, a couple of things that uh, that we were able to to do as a as a you know minority owned uh, um, uh, advertising agency. And um, you know, but but, but we got many more successes. Uh, but those were really two uh, fulfilling programs that I think we did great work on. Outstanding. 
um, I don't know that people would think about um, that that is what a, a marketing firm can bring to an organization like that, to a brand like Denny's. That's that's amazing. So would you say that? I, don't, I certainly didn't want to put words in your mouth, Larry. Would you say yourself that multicultural marketing, that um, that service, is that, a, would you say that that's a, um, what makes your company unique and uniquely competitive? Yes, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, um, look, as we talk about it, uh, uh, the multicultural consumer uh, is the fastest growing segment of the U.S. population, okay? And it's critical that brands are, are well positioned uh, to engage uh, this rapidly uh, growing consumer. You know, you have, it's multi-generational, you know, you have uh, our, our Gen Z cohorts, you know, who are all about being authentic, okay? Uh, they, as they say, they, they have a BS meter where they can detect whether brands are being authentic or, or, or not. Uh, and, and what we do is uh, we support brands in aligning with these audiences. You know, it's, it's critical that brands are, are aligned with the with this fastest growing segment uh, of the population with this enormous buying power. Um, and we know how to do this. I mean, this is, this is core to what we do. But equally as important is how we do it. Uh, what we do is we align our team, our technology, and our resources uh, with our clients in the development of a customized service delivery model for our clients. And, and, it, and we start by listening. And it's amazing what you can learn uh, by listening. Uh, and we take those clients' requirements and inputs and uh, uh, we synthesize them uh, to provide what we need to deliver upon the client's request, but not just deliver upon the client's request. The name of the game is to exceed the client's expectations. I mean, that is truly the name of the game, okay? Uh, I know it's, it's, it's often used, but it is core to my thinking and the team's thinking. And so our job is to make it easy for our clients such that our clients love working with us. And when done correctly, you become integral to the client supply chain. They come to rely on you as opposed to you uh, simply pro providing or delivering a product or service. You provide so much more mm -hmm. and you cultivate a deep relationship in the process. And truly that is where the magic happens. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. And, and the same for you, Antonio. I know I know that you you work in different markets. You have an office in both Greensboro and in Charlotte. You've mentioned projects in both areas. Um, can you talk about what's been your competitive advantage for, for GP Supply? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. And it, it kind of dovetails really well with what was just said in terms of um, when, when you're talking about distributing a commodity, you know, like pipe valves and fittings, and even when you talk about just distribution, you, you've got to figure out a way to become value added, you know, and there's a couple different ways to do it. Um, one is through your people. Um, what GP supply, you know, going back to why I bought the company, I mean, you know, the, the people, especially on the sales team across the company, have 20, 30, and some even 40 years of experience in this business. Now, the reason why that is important 
is because when you're trying to sometimes, you know, subcontractors or it might be, you know, facility maintenance teams, they need advice sometimes, or they might go down a path and they, they may have gaps in their own knowledge and understanding of what they're doing. And if you've got a team that can give advice or recommend alternatives and introduce new ideas or, or question, in some cases, question what a, you know, what somebody's doing or what your customer is doing, you know, now all of a sudden you become value added. And so that is definitely one of our competitive uh, advantage, I would say, is our people. The other competitive advantage we have uh, is, is as our inventory, our large inventory. Now, what I'm saying, what I mean by that is a lot of larger distributors will use the just-in-time, uh, you know, approach, right? So they've got a, dis- a distribution warehouse somewhere and they'll, they'll go to that distribution warehouse to get it to the customer wherever they need to, uh, wherever they need to get it to. Well, what we figured out, uh, and again, I'm not going to take credit for this. The, this was there. These guys have figured this out. And that is, let's just keep millions and millions of dollars of inventory, you know, in any particular market that we want to serve. And let's not have to go get it from a, you know, somewhere else. And so, Right now, what's happening is if if uh, if a subcontractor or facility maintenance person needs something, nine times out of ten, GP supply company has it. You know, uh, so we take inventory risk. Uh, that's the trade-off. You take inventory risk, and that's what a lot of the large distributors they're trying to uh, minimize that inventory risk. Things going dead on them or, or what have you. We take that risk so that when our customers need it, we can we can get it to them. So both competitive and a cost advantage. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, you guys mentioned this, Antonio. I know you said this is a part of even your competitive advantage, but one of the key things that you all do, you are in business, yes, for yourself, but you are also employing other people. And, um, and that's really important to our economy as well, but I, I imagine very important to the success of your business. So any, I think, successful business model um, is, is about finding and keeping a really good team. And you guys talk about um, what you do to cultivate a culture that um, drives innovation, that thrives, one where you can retain really good talent. Larry, you wanna pick that up first? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we, um, we work hard, uh, but, uh, but we have a lot of fun. Uh, every day we try to think uh, of the next great idea to advance our client's business. That's our challenge, okay? We're in the idea business. And as a result, uh, we can never rest on our laurels. Um, we carve out uh, substantial meeting time every month and what we've entitled our innovation sessions. This is where we all bring uh, uh, insights into the latest trends in various areas, uh, including industry, diversity, multicultural marketing, generational, uh, content consumption, uh, you name it, okay? And, and, and we go through this and, and learn from it. And then we, what we do is we take that uh, and we develop whether it be white papers around it or, or, or bite-sized social content uh, uh, around it as well. And we share this with, uh, uh, with our clients. Um, and in doing so, you're driving ideas 
uh, uh, into your in, into your client's business as well. Um, additionally, it doesn't hurt uh, for us that we get a chance to work on some very exciting activations uh, from doing a takeover uh, of a cruise ship. Uh, we board a cruise ship on behalf of our client uh, before any of the passengers get on, uh, and we outfit and brand that cruise ship. Uh, in this case, uh, Denny's. And so when the passengers arrive, uh, it's a total Denny's uh, a takeover. We also uh, developed and executed uh, the Hunger for Education HBCU College Tour uh, back in 2019. We had anticipated doing it in 2020, uh, but uh, COVID-19, of course, uh, shut that down. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we visited seven HBCU campuses and did a takeover uh, of the yard on these campuses. And so uh, the opportunity to have uh, uh, team members travel from coast to coast, working uh, in a very exciting uh, 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 environment um, really helps in the context of, of, of keeping and uh, uh, employees having long tenured employees. Uh, but my focus is about developing a culture uh, of being committed to excellence. That's, that's the name of the game, okay, mm. is, to, is to be committed to excellence. And so, um, you know, we, we do some really exciting things here uh, at, at Marketing Resource Solutions. Okay, how about you, Antonio? Sure, so first and foremost, I think culture, it, culture will make or break the company, especially once you get beyond, obviously, you know, one or two employee type firm, you know, and so when you're talking about, you know, when you start getting, uh, you know, to where there's a number of people in an organization, you've got to get that right. And, and I like to think, um, I believe we've got it right at GP Supply Company. And the way we, we've done that is by empowerment. You know, uh, that's been very, very effective in terms of empowering and encouraging uh, people to share their ideas uh, uh, to make the company better, uh, to solve problems. The, you know, right now, I will tell you, I, I've, I've done this to the extent within GP Supply Company to where everybody, everybody feels like they own the company. Like from the driver, you know, to let's say the CFO, which would be the next level high person from my, from me, they all feel like they, they own GP Supply Company. In fact, the way I explain it to them is, is your salary, your bonuses, that represents your equity interest in the business. You know, you grow it, you, you know, then that your equity portion grows along with that because you get bigger bonuses, bigger salaries. And so that has been uh, very effective along with recognition. I'm talking about, you know, if those ideas turn into results, I make a big, big deal out of it. You know, um, you know, for example, you know, my guys now take pride in instead of outsourcing something like whether it's, let's say, for example, our, our camera system. You know, we've had some we've had a couple guys within the company that said, listen, we can, we, can, we can put our own camera system in. We can tell you which is the right, the best. We'll do the research to figure out what's the best system and we'll install it ourselves, and which will save us money. And I, that's just one example, but it's just numerous 
ideas when it comes to operations, when it comes to sales, when it comes to accounting and finance. You know, we're getting uh, creative new ideas all around. And of course, all of that makes us better, which makes us, uh, which allows us to serve our customers, which allows us to serve our vendors and serve ourselves uh, much better. So those would be the two things that I would say that we do to kind of cultivate uh, a culture that thrives and, uh, and drives innovation. Well, and it obviously works <laughs> for both of you. Um, it, it seems like it's a, it's a model for success for both of you, for both of your businesses, since you're building some really good teams. Um, I want to share with you um, a, a quote from an article. I read an article earlier this week about um, 20th century um, Black business leaders and some of their um, impacts on society. And so I want to share this with you. Um, it has become increasingly clear that companies have a significant role to play in creating sustainable cities and communities and in building an equitable economy and society. And this moment in time calls for firms to engender a more compassionate form of the capitalistic economic system, one that encourages all companies to focus on community well-being as much as they do profit. So I'd love to hear um, your thoughts um, on that quote, especially as it relates to your companies. Um, Antonio, would you like to start? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that speaks to the heart of social responsibility. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm at a point in my career where it's, 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 it's got to be about something more than myself. You know, I, you know, so for me, I get up every day. It's not to create any more, you know, to, to make any more money for myself, you know, or to, I don't need any more accolades. I mean, it, because you, once you kind of reach a certain point of success, you realize that, okay, you've done that. You can check that off. There's, then there's emptiness from there. And I, I think the way, you know, I've filled that void is to focus on, you know, and I realized this was something I had to learn that it, it's about, you know, it's about helping every, helping others. Entrepreneurship is a great opportunity to spend your life devoted to helping, you know, not only your, your employees and your customers and your vendors, but the communities that you serve. And when you do that, you know, you, uh, it fulfills you in a way that nothing else can kind of fulfill you. And so, you know, I've been at it now. I'm in my eighth year actually running the company. I've owned it for seven years, but, you know, you know, I've come up with a pay it forward strategy, you know, and it, and my pay it forward strategy centers around, you know, sponsorships, uh, particularly sponsoring events that promote uh, um, minority uh, women and minority owned businesses um, internships is something that I'm extremely proud of. We've, we've got a very robust uh, internship uh, program where the, the, uh, it, it's, it's tied with the governor's internship program and where we bring kids in. But what we do kind of unique with that internship program is I've modeled it with my experience at Harvard and what I kind of did to transition into entrepreneurship by going and working in and spending time in all of the different areas of a business before I actually acquired one. So what I do with my interns is I don't allow them to come in and just sit in one area of the business. In that eight weeks, they rotate throughout my entire company. And then they have to write a paper and they have to do a presentation to my executive management team 
on their understanding of the business and the ideas they have to make it better, you know, but also, you know, I want to kind of understand what they've been able to absorb. I want to, I'm planting that seed of entrepreneurship in these, uh, in these college students. So, which are a lot of them are from North Carolina NT, Winston-Salem State, um, um, as well as UNCG. But what that, what happens what I've, over the last seven years, what has happened is, is some of those internships have turned into mentorship. So, you know, uh, sometimes a kid just, they latch on and they just want, they want more, they're thirsty. So I've got, uh, you know, I've, I've, if I've got seven, I would say there's, been, there's, there's two that have just latched on where I talk to them on Sundays. They're now, they, they've gone on graduate. One works for Amazon out of Las Vegas. And, you know, and I'm guiding him through his career. So it's turned into a mentorship uh, type situation. So those are the three key parts of my pay it forward strategy, not only with mentorship, but I do want to mention it's not only mentorship with the, with the intern, the kids from the internship program, but also smaller businesses, you know, or, you know, and then there's professionals who want to try to make that transition from corporate America to entrepreneurship, and they have to be coached through that process. And so that's a good mentorship opportunity for me as well. So so a lot, so I do a lot with mentorship on a lot of different levels, but I have found running a business more fulfilling today than I ever had when I was trying to make that first million, when I was trying to, you know, reach those early goals. Uh, it's way more fulfilling uh, to see um, a kid who knows nothing about distribution, but by the end of eight weeks, you know, send you a patron to deliver a presentation where they've got the big picture of how our distribution firm works. And then they want to keep in touch with you and develop a relationship and, and, and they want to, they're thirsty for knowledge. There's no amount of money in the world. I'm telling you that replaces those, that type of feeling. So. Uh-huh. Thank you, Antonio. Larry, what do you, what do you think? What are your thoughts about that? Uh, me if I repeat the question again. Okay. You want to re- hear the quote? Yeah. Um, it has become increasingly clear that companies have a significant role in, oh, excuse me, it has become increasingly clear that companies have a significant role to play in creating sustainable cities and communities and in building an equitable economy and society. And this moment in time calls for firms to engender a more compassionate form of the capitalistic economic system, one that encourages all companies to focus on community well-being as much as they do profit. Yeah, I, um, you know, this is, uh, actually we've been doing some research in this area on behalf of one, on behalf of one of our clients. And, um, you know, this has been a, a continuum in the sense that if you've gone back, you know, 20 years ago, it was always about shareholder value. Okay, uh, uh, that kind of broadened out to be a little bit more about stakeholder value uh, and, and always the notion of being a good corporate citizen. There is clearly a trend that's taking place in the business community uh, led by, you know, some of the top names in, in finance, uh, the Jamie Diamonds, uh, the Larry Finks of, of BlackRock, okay? You know, who feel uh, that the, the, the corporate responsibility needs to go to uh, a higher level. You know, uh, Larry is, is big on ESG, you know, environmental, social, and, and, and governance. And Jamie made, Jamie Dimon as CEO, 
um, made some remarks recently uh, around the notion uh, of helping uh, poor communities and not being selfish uh, uh, as, as, as corporations and major brands. For me, I, I look at this as there's an element of, of, of common sense in it because as the, the diversity of this country continues to change and evolve with, with minorities grow, uh, population growing at a rapid rate, corporations have to make sure that they're engaged in these communities, okay? Because these are, are going to become th their pool of talent. Additionally, when you engage these, you know, when you engage communities and cities, all right? Uh, and, and particularly, I focus more on, 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 on the poor and those who are left out and disenfranchised, what you're doing by in, in engaging them and making sure that those communities are productive is that you are doing several things. One, you're helping your own brand because now you've got a segment of the population that can purchase your product and or services. Two, you're also uh, uh, helping increase the tax base. Folks with jobs pay taxes. And so this has the effect that it, it helps reduce the need for social programs. So when you reduce the need for social programs, then as a corporation, it, it, can, it can create an environment where they may not need to raise your taxes or even individual taxes. So for me, this thing makes sense, okay? And, and I'm glad to see uh, major CEOs step up and provide the leadership in, uh, 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 in, in this area. Um, at a, at, a, at a personal level and business level, I serve on, on uh, uh, the board of directors of the Carolinas Virginia Minority Supplier Development Council. And in that capacity, you know, I have a, a responsibility to help mentor uh, other minority businesses. And over the course of my time, I've mentored numerous, dozens of minority businesses. Uh, and, and particularly, for those who have never worked in corporate America uh, and helping them understand how to navigate, okay, uh, a, a corporate America, under, helping them understand the business development uh, a process uh, that you're going to uh, endure in calling on, on major brands. And so I spent a lot of time in, 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 uh, in mentoring uh, minority businesses. Um, I like Antonio, uh, you know, I, I, I sponsor many things, uh, internship program as uh, uh, is, is well. And um, additionally, you know, that, that context of giving back, um, no matter who you are or how big your firm is, you can make an impact in, in your community. I found it challenging because it, at some point, because I was, tra I, I travel a lot, well, I did before COVID. And, um, and, and so I found it challenging and so I, I, I I tried to hold myself to a higher, you know, level of responsibility and say, hey, Larry, a lot of people gave to you along the way. A lot of people invested in you along the way. I know you're busy, but you got to find a way to get back. And so mm -hmm. uh, I joined Habitat for Humanity and ultimately became the board chair uh, for Habitat for Humanity uh, for High Point, uh, uh, Jamestown and Archdale. And in that capacity, you know, it, it allowed me to, to support uh, individual families 
you know, and, and realizing the dream of, of home ownership. And as well as we, you know, we, we get on site and, and we help build these homes. This is important uh, work for me. Um, I can't do enough. I need to do a lot more because, and I say that because of the investments that were made in, into me. And so, so this is an area that uh, I feel strongly about, you know, from a, a major corporation perspective and from a, uh, a, a, a personal perspective as well. One thing I would add about corporate responsibility, uh, uh, social responsibility, um, is when it focuses on op- entrepreneurship. You know, what I would, you know, I, I definitely think it's critical that uh, large and local businesses focus on reaching out to the communities they serve. But in a, you know, for me, I'm very passionate when they reach out very specifically and try to plant seeds of entrepreneurship because at the end of the day, you know, home ownership, yes, that is, you know, you know, that is one way to, uh, that, that's really important. But entrepreneurship is the path to wealth creation, to generational wealth in this country. And I think if you really want to have the greatest impact on those communities, because I came from a low income community. And, and so, you know, and, and I saw the local corporations reaching out, you know, and the, the, lo- the local corporations and, and small businesses, and that's precisely what planted the seed in me. And that's why I'm in a position now where I can leave a significant amount of wealth to, to the next generation. And that's why I'm doing so much that I can to reach, to plant that seed in as many kids as I can, because I think that's what's going to move the needle here when it comes to those communities, you, you get enough of, you, you get enough kids growing up to become entrepreneurs and creating wealth, and then they'd have a desire to give to those communities. And then I think eventually, you know, enough people from those communities will have that, you know, large shift and change that you want. And I think that moves the needle. So um, yeah. I'm all, I mean, I really support this and um, I just really, want to do more to encourage them to focus on entrepreneurship uh, specifically. It's extremely encouraging to hear too. And I mean, you both are um, obviously very passionate about the community, but when you think about, um, you are two business owners. If, if When you think about the ripple effect, the potential ripple effect that could happen if other business owners like you would take, um, take that same interest and in, that same investment and put it in the community. Because as you said too, Larry, um, that benefits us all. Um, you know, at, at, a, at a global level, it, it really benefits us all. Um, so thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, one other thing, I'm curious um, to know what what is next for you all. You between the two of you, you have over 27 years of experience in business. Some people haven't done two years in business. A lot of people would love that success. What is next for you um, with your company or for you individually, Larry? You want to want to start with that? Yeah, you know, for me, um, you know, being 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 candid. Um, there's a level of succession planning, okay, uh, that I uh, am undertaking, okay? You know, I'm not going to be stepping away, uh, 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 you, know, but, you know, within the next couple of years or anything like that. But succession planning, uh, you know, is, is important uh, and you have to get it on the way. And so 
uh, that's that's what I'm involved in is developing uh, the success, succession plan for, for the company. And, and that's a, a little more longer term. In the short term, you know, right now what I'm focused on is, is managing rapid growth. Uh, we're growing rapidly, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and rapid growth uh, uh, never happens in an organized fashion, okay? And so there's a certain level, you know, of, of, of chaos that'll, uh, uh, that'll, that'll be taking place uh, during this period of time and you know and you have to try to get in and make sure that your processes can support you know the, the growth uh, we're in the midst of bringing on additional team members okay so um, focused on just managing rapid growth and then part of that rapid growth is premised around uh, expanding our, our our service offering um, we want to provide uh, services in the area of PR and corporate communications. And so, um, as I stated earlier in that value chain exercise, uh, that's what we're looking to move next along the value chain. And so those are uh, are a few of the things uh, that we're working on and and what's next for me. Thank you, Larry. So for me, what's next, uh, my mind has been on developing a platform to replicate my success. Uh, you know, so that would be what I probably spend most of my time thinking about. Um, how do I help others to, you know, with, with a similar background or similar interests as myself, kind of do what it is that I've done? I feel, and I've actually put it in like a model. I've kind of graphically, uh, you know, put this in a model. And, and so I would like to uh, go into corporate America where there's lots of talent. Where, where people are just either being passed over, overlooked, women and minorities, being passed over, overlooked, burnt out, run into the ground, and uh, not properly utilized. And they have all kinds, they, um, they have great leadership abilities and would thrive in, in terms of running and growing their own company. And so, but that's a scary jump for a lot of people. And there are, you know, there are models out there you know, one such model is called the search fund model. And so what I would love to do is build a platform where I identify these individuals, leverage the search fund model to help them to transition, you know, into entrepreneurship. Uh, because again, I believe, you know, that's where wealth, the, the, the power of wealth creation is important. That's one part of it is, is, is really putting these individuals on that path of wealth creation. But at this point in my life, I realize that there's so much more than helping someone get on that path to wealth creation. You know, when it comes to character and business, when it comes to overall wellness, you know, I, you know, I, the, the platform that I want to develop, I want to focus on, you know, wellness, you know, mind, body, and soul, you know, overall health, you know, not just, you know, making a bunch of money. You know, what are you doing to take care of yourself physically? What are you doing and mentally and spiritually? You know, uh, Education, you know, there may be some some gaps in terms of education. So, you know, getting them, you know, helping them to fill those gaps educationally. But, um, you know, and so in entrepreneurship, I just think is uh, the platform will be all about entrepreneurship. But I just think that there's so much more to it. And um, I actually have a company already developed. Uh, It actually is the company that owns GP Supply Company. So I actually 
started GP Supply Company with the mind that if I was successful, I would want to replicate it. So I've already set up the platform. It's already legally set up. So for me, the next thing to do is, is really to raise the capital because it will take, you know, a significant amount of capital to raise to fund those search funds. So uh, at the right time, I will raise capital for that platform and begin to execute on, on this strategy of replicating the success. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, um, Larry and Antonio, for that. It's exciting to hear kind of what you what your next steps are, given that you all are, as I said, already pretty successful. Um, you happen to be um, minority business owners, right? But um, at the end of the day, you're just successful business owners. <laughs> I would, however, love to hear from you one thing that you think it's important for people to know about minority businesses. Certainly that could be its own podcast. Uh, we can talk about that quite a bit, but one thing that you think it's important for people to know um, about minority uh, business owners or minority owned businesses. Um, Larry, what about you? The one thing I want people to know is that um, minority owned businesses are just as capable okay, as any other group of businesses. Uh, and, and in business, there are, it's a continuum. You know, you've got uh, small, medium, large businesses. You have some businesses that uh, perform well and, and some don't. That's not um, a, a premise around one's race uh, or ethnicity. And so I say that to say that though you're a minority-owned business, what I'd like for our corporate partners to understand is that um, we're just as capable, uh, 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 just as talented uh, to be able to deliver great value, okay, within your supply chain, okay, as any other business. Uh, um, that that's the name of the game, and 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 as long as you know you engage minority businesses who are committed to excellence, uh, 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 you know who have um, you know, core competencies uh, um, that, that, that indeed can deliver a competitive advantage, then uh, a minority-owned business can, can bring about a level of innovation and help you meet your business uh, goals and objectives as equally as anyone else. I guess what I would, what I would add to is, is that I would want others to know that it's an opportunity to bring a unique perspective because minority business enterprises have so many different challenges and minority business owners are used to having to be extremely creative to solve all of those different problems. Well, that in itself becomes a skill set. And so, you know, take advantage of that skill set, you know? Um, and so when you bring a minority business in enterprise into the fold, you're gonna get a unique perspective, a unique skill set and don't miss out on that opportunity. It, it, it's, an, it, it's an opportunity that will serve you well. Well stated. Very well said. Well, thank you both for taking the time out of what must be very busy schedules to, um, to talk with us, help us get to know um, GP Supply, Market Resource Solutions. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you so very much. Thank you, thank you, Nikita. This podcast is brought to you by TrueLiant Federal Credit Union, a modern, mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members, 
the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, Truliant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit truliant.org for more information. You can find all of our episodes on YouTube thanks to our video sponsor, North State. Make sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes delivered to your device each week. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at GSO Chamber. See you next time. Thank you.